Welcome to the Faith FX Podcast. I'm Bernie Vandewal. I'm Mark Buchanan. And this is where faith and life meet. Today, we're going to talk with Dave Blundell from Hungry for Life. Yeah, I really enjoyed this program. This is the first time I got to meet Dave and was very intrigued by the work that he's doing with Hungry for Life, but particularly his comments and reflections on the church in North America that really was the spark that began his interest in global relief and development. Right. He talks about poverty, but not in the way evangelicals are normally, even people with sort of a missional mindset are, are used to talking about poverty. And I think you need to tune in just for that. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, a, a re reframing of what poverty is. And he also talks about the current political climate uh, with our friends uh, south of the Canadian border. Yeah, in some ways, I think that's going to uh, probably provoke our, our readers one way or the next because he has some strong opinions, but it's very worth hearing what he has to say about current debates about border security. Great. So be sure to join us for Faith FX. It is fun to be back here on Faith FX, where you are still Mark Buchanan. And you are still Bernie, Bernie Vanderwall. Dr. Bernie Vanderwall. Yeah, yeah. Reverend, Reverend Dr. Bernie Vanderwall, actually. But wow. Anyway, yeah. His holiness is with yeah. us. Yeah. Um, if you were to meet Mark and I uh, in person, you would think they have very, very little in common. Uh, and so uh, people have except, asked. Except we're both cool. Well, yeah, that's, that's clear. And, and people have said to me, you and Buchanan seem to click, but you seem to be very different guys. For instance, right now, I'm sitting in a button-up dress shirt with a, uh, a blazer very, on. Very snazzy blazer. Uh, and, and a beautifully coiffed hair. Uh, and and you are sitting here uh, looking very cool in jeans, uh, a uh, rugged Eddie Bauer outdoor shirt. Uh, and, and coiffed hair. And coiffed hair. Yeah. 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 Uh, but we do share something. We actually have fun together. Yeah, a lot. Uh, and uh, one of the things we uh, actually share is a love for classical music. And by, cl by yeah. classical music, I mean... The stuff in the 70s. Yeah, yeah. 60s, 70s, yeah. Uh, maybe into the early 80s rock yeah. and roll. Yeah, absolutely. That, I mean, this whole, it's, it's sacred music to right. us. Yeah. All right. And so we'll pass each other in the hall and I'll say three or four words to him. I'll complete the line. And you'll complete yeah. the line. Yeah. We have fun. We actually play this game. We, we go on seminary retreats. We let the students sort of go be geeky in the corner, but you and I hang out in the, uh, in a corner, a different corner and uh, just sort of play, uh, finish the lyric. And that's always kind of fun. Yeah. Yeah. Any, any, any rock and roll trivia game. We, we, not only do we, you know, we excel at it, but we, we're such enthusiasts that every time we sort of, we have to sort of sing a few stanzas from whatever song mm -hmm. we, we just had to guess. One of the other things we have in common is that we host this podcast. We're now in our second episode, but we have our first guest. Yes, and Faith Effects. Right. And uh, this guy and I go back uh, longer than he would care to admit because he's uh, so much younger than I. But we actually were on the same campus uh, uh, back in the day. Uh, I was in old man school and he was in cool young guy school. Uh, and uh, his name is Dave Blundell. Dave, uh, how are you? Doing great. Thanks for having me. Great. Uh, uh, Dave, uh, tell us about yourself. Uh, who are you? Give us a little bit of your story. Uh, tell us about your family, stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. We uh, I live in Chilliwack, BC, and uh, and been here for 
about 24 years, came here directly from Regina, from Canadian Bible College. And, uh, yeah, I've been here all that time, came here as a pastor at Chilliwack Alliance Church, and uh, was a youth pastor there for a number of years. Met and married my wife, Heidi, and we, we have two children who are now adults. One of them is actually in Regina. He's going oh, wow. to Briarcrest Bible College. And uh, our, our daughter lives in Australia, and she's a, a leader with YWAM currently in Southern Africa. Oh, very cool. Very cool. Yeah, it's been a great journey. We, we came empty nesters within 24 hours, so we're getting over that. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, Dave, you fairly soon after you graduated, or rather uh, after you, you moved to Chilliwack, you got into pastoral ministry, but then you felt called to launch a ministry around 15 or 16 years ago, if that's, I've got the dates correct. Um, it's called Hungry for Life, and could you tell us about that work? Yeah, you bet. Uh, really, it had its, the organization had its embryonic stages when I was a pastor. And and even though we're known as an international relief and development organization, it didn't start with a passion for the poor around the world. It actually started because of a, and still exists because of a deep passion for spiritual poverty that exists in the church in North America. I was a pastor at the time, and I was just so uh, disillusioned with uh, the, the church in North America. And even though the church has so many resources, even though we have access to more than we've ever had access to from a from a horizontal perspective, the church just seems to be going backwards all the time. And I looked at my own ministry and in the ministries of my peers, and we were constantly wanting our churches to be more full, uh, both in terms of people and also fulfillment. And And I was just disillusioned with spiritual poverty. And, and whenever I would travel to other countries and, and get to know the lives of people who are materially poor, I would see in them a spiritual life that I envied and was jealous of. And and craved for my church and craved for my people. Uh, and so, so that was, that was, uh, I was in the Philippines for a year and got to know a bunch of people that lived on a garbage dump in Manila. And, uh, they inspired me spiritually and realized that they had something I didn't have. And so when, when I was a pastor, that the, the passion to involve people from churches in North America around the world came because of what they have to offer us more so than what we have to offer them. That's very good. Uh, so wh- how do you see, especially your ministry, transfusing some of that energy that you and depth of spirituality um, and discipleship that you see in the developing world? How do you see that being infused into the church in North America? Yeah, it's not it's not hard to tap into leaders here that are tired of spiritual poverty. I and mean, they were talking to most pastors and they resonate with that pretty quick, but they, a lot of them really don't know what to do about it. Uh, and, and you don't have to beat up leaders here with the, the mission stick or the poor stick. Everybody knows that there's needs around the world. They just don't know how to get involved in it. And so, uh, and, and so when, when we talk to leaders about engaging people, we, we show them that when we, get to know people who are materially poor, but spiritually wealthy, they, God uses them to fill us up. And uh, we see that all over scripture as well, is that the, 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 and God says what we, the, the more we do for the poor, the more God does in our lives. The, the, the quality of our relationship with God is directly related to what we do for the least of these. And it's all over scripture. 
And so uh, we, people here often hear about those that come back from missions trips on the spiritual high and, and uh, that, that spiritual high that's often talked about is really the infusion that I hear you ask about. And uh, it's often dismissed as, oh, they're on a spiritual high. They'll become nominal and normal when they come home. But, but really, I think we've tapped into something that's incredibly powerful. And that's, that spiritual high is something that should be normal Christianity. Right. So t- tell us uh, in specific terms, what is the work that Hungry for Life does that both the, glo- the, the global relief and development arm, but also this cross-pollinating the, the church in the developing world with, with the church here in North America? Yeah. Uh, when, when I left pastoral ministry, I went and joined a, a larger relief and development organization. And, uh, and because I, I didn't know anything about what was going on in the world and I needed to get baptized into the world of relief and development. So joined a big parachurch ministry. And uh, when I did that, the, all my friends that were pastors didn't want to be my friends anymore because they, they knew I was coming for their money and their people. And when parachurch ministries talk to churches about partnership, it means give me your money or give me your people and I'll go get the job done for you. And, uh, and so I lost all my pastor friends when I went into parachurch ministry. Uh, and so I started talking to them and said, you know, we don't need to convince everybody there's a need. We don't need to convince everybody we should do something. Why is the church from North America not being mobilized en masse to do something about relatively easy issues around the world? And in every case, these leaders were saying, it's not that it's not that we don't have a desire. It's so we don't know how to do it directly. We don't know how to get involved. We're so busy trying to find Sunday school teachers for the Sunday or trying to figure out how to pay the bills. We don't know what to do about, you know, starvation. We don't know what to do about clean water or human trafficking. And so they all said, help us with the how and we'll get involved. And so I said, well, what if we created an organization that removed obstacles from churches and church leaders to directly involve their people? So rather than us coming to churches saying, give us your money and we'll go get the job done, help us to do our thing. We go to churches and help them to discover what their thing is internationally and then help them to accomplish that. And so we stay in the background, we facilitate. What that looks like is effective project management, assessing what real needs are versus perceived needs, CRA compliance and all that needs to go on in the background to make the government happy with what happens with dollars, short-term missions that are done in the context of long-term partnerships and not just blow in, blow up and blow out missions, but uh, life engagement, relationship development with long-term partners around the world. Uh, and, uh, and, and all the mechanics of a church here or a business here, a group here, building a relationship with some small group in some other part of the world and having that be a healthy exchange and, and exchange of relationship. Cool. Dave, uh, in a course I teach, uh, actually in a couple of different courses I teach, uh, a, a common uh, sort of thread comes up. And um, uh, it's, it's the concept of the preferential option for the poor, now, in, in your biz and travel, I'm, I'm, I'm sure you've heard that. Uh, and I know I've caught you all, I, I didn't give you a heads up on this at all or anything, but, but what do you make of, of, of that, this idea that God has a preferential option for the poor? Yeah, yeah, that was something I was reading about recently. And, and I believe it's pretty inescapable when you read all the counsel of Scripture that, uh, that the poor have a, a special affection in the heart of God. When Jesus came in Luke 4 and announced his job description to the people in, uh, in the synagogue, he said, I've come to preach good news to the poor. 
and and help the poor recover sight. And like his his very announcement when he came and his big reveal came and the word poor and blind were right there. Uh, we see that consistent with old old Testament passages of scripture that's that specifically that specifically connect our relationship with God to God's heart for the poor. And, and then obviously all over the new Testament Acts two for Matthew 25. And so, uh, so from a, from a, a biblical perspective, I think that's pretty easy to, to deduce from scripture. Yeah. One of the things I find really interesting about what you've told us already and what I know about uh, your work uh, is that you haven't tied the idea of poverty uh, exclusively or even primarily uh, to finances. Uh, I was wondering, uh, can you sort of unpack a little bit for us? You know, uh, you talked about, you've talked about it in in passing with us, but, but this idea of spiritual poverty uh, and, and, and uh, how that goes here in North America or, or wherever that may be. Yeah, I think I understand the question and correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, related to this, right around the time we started Hungry for Life, I was wrestling with the issue of economics and, and the poor and what scripture says, and then comparing that to what was going on in my life and, and the safety and the comfort that we enjoy as North Americans. And I don't know if you guys have heard about this book called Your God is Too Safe. Uh, Mark's heard of it. Uh, yeah, Mark, I think I, mm, yeah, I've heard of it. You've heard of it? Yeah. So did I about that time. And uh, my wife got this book and she said, read this. And so I read it and, and that, that book impacted, uh, impacted what I thought about the safety we lo- we like to experience as North Americans. And, uh, and that's very much connected to finances. Finances is one of the most significant ways we try to feel safe and, or one of the ways that we go about or, or become safe. And so part of our, our, not only did the message of that book affected where we were at the start, like this, this, this fear of starting out from square from what we were doing. Yeah. Mark here is beaming uh, as you say this. And, uh, and so I'm going to Mark, tell us why you find that so interesting. His comment about this book. Well, because I'm the author. Oh yeah. yeah, really? Yeah, so that's it's kind of awkward actually right now. I know he yeah, he was really shaking his head at me to not to not bring that up, but yeah. but it's one of those great serendipitous providential motives. Entirely I, I, awkward, but yeah. ho- awkward, but hopefully. Well, no, actually, it's very inspiring for me, Dave, because um, I mean, it's it's uh, you know unsolicited testimony. Honestly, we didn't plan this. No, this is hilarious. Uh, of the very reason I wrote that book is I probably felt as you articulated at the beginning of this podcast some of the same uh, discouragement, disillusionment, et cetera, with what was going on in the North American church and tried to identify and diagnose and then provide mm-hmm. and, and propose some remedy for it. So it's very heartening mm-hmm. to, to hear that that book had an impact on you. So thank you. Yeah, and, and it kind of relates to, to, well, thanks for producing it because it was pivotal in, in our lives when we were at this stage of making some pretty huge decisions. And not only that, but challenging the church prophetically around the issue of safety and comfort and access and, and all that comes with that. And that relates to Bernie's question about finances, yeah. uh, because I, I don't, I don't believe there is uh, I don't believe in guilt motivation. I think it's a really short term bad way to motivate people. And I don't believe that there's a formula for giving. Uh, I have some, you know, strong feelings around not making people feel guilty, but instead causing people to see 
what a life of sacrifice will do for us and what they will do for the poor on the world. And, and, and having what we do with money come from a, a revitalized relationship with God. Yeah. And again, no formula. I'm not into telling people, you know, you spend this much at Starbucks every day and you know what that'll do Got around it. the world. I mm. think that's short term, but, but the, the, the issue of safety, security, the issue of pushing people to be obedient and whatever that means for them. And, and, and again, no formula. We tell people all the time, guilt is about trying to find a formula. So I don't have to feel guilty anymore. And that's not the issue because God owns all of what we have to begin with. And, and, uh, and, and I, and, and part of this issue of money are big macroeconomic issues. Like 80% of the world's resources is being consumed by 20% of the world's population. And that 20% of the world's population are primarily from historical Christian nations. Hmm. So a case could be made that it's Christian countries, quote unquote, Christian countries that are consuming 80% of the world's resources. And I think that that's a big picture indication of our spiritual poverty, something that needs to change, but it doesn't change because we make people feel guilty. Cool. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to put on my curmudgeon hat, which I, I wear uh, pretty regularly. All the time. Yeah. yeah thank you. <laughs> um, uh, and, and so I, you know, I'm going to be, uh, I'm going to be the, uh, the yeah, skeptics, not the right word, but yeah, it's sort yeah, of the, yeah. Um, a few. So, so that's nice and all that. Uh, but could you spend a couple of minutes telling me how on earth, and I sort of teased you into this already a little bit, how do you, how does scripture and how does the gospel and how does your concept of who God is mm-hmm. lead you here? And that's, that's the coolest part for me because again, I'm not coming from a place of social justice by focusing on what's the inequities of what's going on in the world and, and the poor. We come at this from a spiritual vibrancy perspective that when we are, when we are spiritually vibrant, we will automatically use our time and money for the things that please God. And that will, that will have an effect on what happens to the poor. So scripture and a revitalized relationship with God is the very foundation of what we're about as an organization and what I'm about. Uh, and, uh, and, and I grew up with this idea that, that in evangelical tradition that we should care more about where people spend eternity than, than what the quality of their life is like here. And that pendulum that swung out uh, historically from liberation theology uh, and, and the mainline church that, that said, that said, you know, they focused, we used to focus too much on people's physical needs. We've got to focus on their eternal needs. And, and, uh, and, and, and then when I, was reading so much of scripture that said the opposite of that, 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 that God cares very much about the suffering of people here. Um, and not only does he care about it, it's, it's us doing something about it is the very, it's the very vehicle for us to experience vibrancy. So, mm-hmm. so, so theologically, biblically, as I said before, like so many of the, the, the message of the prophets and is, is all about uh, resetting a right social order. And and the definition of sin and wickedness is not just what we do with our our moral choices, but what we do or don't do for the poor. That that God listed ignoring the poor right up there with a whole bunch of other sexual sin. And never before had I equated that that either both of those were just as equally depraved before God. And so the message of the prophets obviously leads to the life of Christ and and why he came. And as I said, in Luke four, he, he announced he was here for the poor. Right. Um, and, and then throughout the rest of the new Testament. And even though acts chapter two and four is 
descriptive and not necessarily prescriptive. Right. The, 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 the description is where there was spiritual vibrancy. It resulted in no poverty. In, in, in yeah. both of those cases, in both of those passages, and and then the churches were challenged through throughout that through all the letters. So there's a consistent thread in scripture that I did not was not really taught growing up in a typical evangelical mm-hmm. uh, tradition. And so, um, so again, where there's where there's spiritual vibrancy, it results in uh, less poverty. And I think that that's pretty biblical. Yeah. I, uh... Uh, I was reading James Cone one time, uh, the recently departed uh, black theologian from uh, America, and uh, was struck by a line he wrote, which says, uh, the fear of hell future has very little effect of those who feel that they're living in hell present. Hell now. Yeah. 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 Yeah, That's that's really good. And and, uh, I've had so many of our partners all around the world tell us the same thing, that that you know, they're, they don't need to be told that their focus is on eternity because they're not living for today because living for today kind of sucks. And so uh, they already know that they're living for tomorrow. But when, when we call them brothers and sisters of Christ and they have a, an increasingly clearer picture of the way that we live, uh, it's pretty hypocritical to even call them brothers and sisters of Christ. So yeah, if, if people's stomachs are empty, they can't hear the gospel. And, and that doesn't mean that we're into rice Christianity or, or using relief and development as as if it's the only value for it is for evangelism. Because for some people, uh, a bowl of rice is the good news. It is the gospel. And uh and then that gives us opportunity to share the gospel, but it's not it's not a vehicle. It's not the reason we do compassion ministry isn't only because it's a vehicle for the gospel. It is the gospel. Very good, Dave. Right now, as we're having this interview, we're in the midst in North America of a lot of volatility, a lot of divisiveness around immigrant issues, border issues. I'm not trying to solicit a political comment, but I would be interested in a theological comment on how you see the the current political climate vis-a-vis those issues of, for instance, um, border security. Yeah, we'd need another half an hour. To, <laughs> even, I'm sure for most people, it would it would elicit the same sort of passion. And and uh, and I'm, I'm trying to trying to be restrained, but at the same time, I, I just don't know how uh, the majority of the people who call themselves evangelical Christian people in the states can justify the the stereotypical conservative response to immigration. I just I don't even remotely see that in scripture, and I don't know how anybody. Uh, can can be a conservative evangelical in a stereotypical ways of defining those those labels. I'm not really in the labels, but the, the, the labels that are talked about often. I don't understand how anybody can justify the uh, immigration policies and, and response because is because of, of exactly what Jesus said about uh, the aliens and the people who who are vulnerable and the people without homes and the people who don't have enough food uh, and the self protection. Uh, undercurrent that really is the value in forming those policies is the opposite of what I see in scripture. So, uh, so yeah, I, that's probably the least I could say about it. <laughs> Thanks for uh, waiting in on that. 
no, I, I'm happy to happy to talk about it. I'm often trying to restrain myself from talking about it. So thanks. Well, for I do wish we had more time, Dave. Yeah. Uh, say somebody's listening right now, and they say, "Bring it on! I I want this this vibrancy, this intimacy that leads to greater generosity, bigger mm-hmm. risk taking." What, what was one or two steps that you would advise right now that somebody does to bring begin that that process of re- recovering the depth of their faith? Yeah, I think the first thing, uh, which may sound overly simplistic, but I, I don't think it is, is is read all the scripture. Just even just take this year to go from beginning to end and see that common thread that goes from the prophets to Jesus to the church, and uh, and start there as far as personal spiritual motivation goes, uh, and particularly for leaders. Our our target is organizations, our our decision makers, pastors, business people leaders of groups that want to make a difference. And I think that as leaders, that's the first place to start is, is read the whole council scripture and look for that common thread. Um, from a, a practical perspective, as, as I answered, when you asked about how we work, our desire is not to go to churches and groups saying, come do our thing is, is for us to, we, we come into churches and groups and we help them to discover what God's asking them to do around the world. And then we help them to we help them to do their thing. And so we're set up to carry on conversations about, okay, how do I get my church in the middle of Alberta? Or how do I get my church from somewhere in Canada to involved in the furthest parts of the world and actually make a difference in a way that's actually helpful and not, and that doesn't hurt. And, uh, and our, our job is to bring that expertise and best practice to lots of missions, desire and, compassionate desire for churches. So we walk churches down that road, but in a way that makes them and puts them in the driver's seat, it gives them, they have ownership, they have direction. We just provide guidance to, to help make that happen. We're talking to Dave Blundell on Faith Effects. Dave, could you, whereas we wrap this up, if somebody wants to find out more, get involved, what do they do? The easiest thing for them to do is easiest thing for them to remember to do is just to email us at info at hungryforlife.org and uh, let us express whatever touched their heart that they want for themselves or for their church. And uh, we'll pick it up from there and just continue the conversation. So the easiest way is just to email us at info at hungryforlife.org. Can't thank yeah. you enough for uh, being our guinea pig, our first guest uh, on this podcast. Uh, I think it went in the words of my friend, Mark Buchanan, skookumly. Oh, so skookum. <laughs> and, and probably Dave gets that word. Dave, yeah. It's a, yeah, West... it's a, it's a good BC word. Dave, yeah. thank you. Praise you. Yeah, uh, yeah. So it, it's yeah. all, it, we're skookumed right up, uh, but we're also out of time. So thanks, Dave, for joining us. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Mark, for uh, being here. Thank you, Bernie. Uh, and again, I'm Bernie Vandewall, and this has been Faith FX. Thank you for listening to Faith Effects, presented by Ambrose University, where higher education meets higher purpose. 